This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege to guide us today as we continue our journey, uh, discovering and uncovering some secrets that God says have been hidden from the creation of the world in this series that we're calling Decoded. Uh, Just to get us all on the same page, because we believe here at New Life, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, we're all on this journey together. There is no us and them. There is no in and out. There's us, and we're engaging with God together. Uh, Just a few things to get us on that same page or inside your program. So go ahead and grab your program. Uh, Inside, you might want to grab this Start Here card, and I would just suggest you put your name on it, and then if you're new with us, your email address, because we do stuff with this throughout the service, and you're going to want to have it ready. And just so you know, uh, this is just a way for us to stay connected to you and for you to stay connected to us and the things we're doing in the church and in the city and around the world, because we want to partner with you however we can. So go ahead and get that ready. And if I've earned your trust over the course of the next 35 or 40 minutes, I'll just ask you to drop this card in some baskets when they're passed. You don't even have to do anything with it right now except for just put your name on it. So go ahead and get that ready. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. They've got the, uh, the Bible story we're looking at today. Uh, it's a big one, so you're going to want to grab that. They've got some space for you to just write down your own thoughts and questions and ideas. And I'm going to ask us to take a question home and think about it throughout uh, the week. And maybe if you don't know the answer to it, Ask someone who sits across from you, your spouse, your kids, uh, your friends, your housemates. Ask them the question because I guarantee if you don't know the answer, they know the answer for you. Because we're always better at seeing what's going on in your life than in our life anyway. So go ahead and grab your notes and get that ready. And as we, uh, as we get our notes ready, I just, want, I just want to talk about some of the unspoken rules that we have in our culture. Have you ever noticed that there's certain etiquettes that are unspoken? Like if you go to a funeral— You walk in the door and you just recognize that there is a a funeral etiquette that happens. You walk in and everyone just kind of gets quiet. The lights are usually low. We walk up, we pay our respects, and and we hug a lot, and we ask how you're doing. It's it's funeral etiquette. No one wrote a book on it. We just just know. And then there's wedding etiquette. I love performing wedding ceremonies because I get to stand up front with the the groom, who's usually shaking and crying, uh, and, and I stand there and everyone's looking around quietly murmuring, but then there's one moment where the mother of the bride, who's sitting right over here, she looks back and she sees her daughter coming around the corner, and she turns and she stands. And when she stands, the wedding etiquette says, everybody stands up together. And we all stand and we look. And this fun thing is, I get to watch the groom as he sees his bride. But there's some unspoken etiquette, like the etiquette that if you're the best man, you don't get drunk before the toast. That's like an unspoken, unless you're crazy Uncle Eddie. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't have a crazy Uncle Eddie, you probably are crazy Uncle Eddie. So... Uh, just so you know. But there's unspoken etiquette that happens at a wedding. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Decoded because Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named Matthew, said that Jesus spoke in these stories called parables. And parables are, are fictional or made-up stories that have a main thrust that teach us about God or about ourselves or the way that we should interact with God in this life. He said that Jesus spoke in these parables to reveal to us secrets or to decode secrets that have been hidden from the creation of the world. And the the secret that we're going to decode today is the secret of forgiveness etiquette. What does it look like to live in relationship to God in such a way that it opens the door to forgiveness etiquette? Because there are some unspoken rules that we have that are different from the unspoken rules that God has. Because forgiveness is a strange thing. If you stop and think about it, is forgiveness a feeling? 
Like, do I feel forgiveness towards someone, or is it an action? And the question is, if I don't feel it, should I, should I still extend it? Forgiveness is an interesting question, and it's kind of a hot topic question in our culture, and it was in Jesus's culture as well. In fact, the question of forgiveness was a major topic among Jesus and his friends as Jesus walked through this earth. And there's a guy named Peter who was Jesus' best friend. And Peter had been walking with Jesus and listening to Jesus teach, and, and Jesus told kind of some of the same stories over and over and over again because he lived in a time when many of the people were illiterate, and so it was, uh, it was a, a storytelling culture. So they would tell these stories over and over again to sink them in. So when you look at the pages of your Bible and there's a story that's in there once, we kind of assume, well, just, Jesus must have just said that story once. But the truth is he told that story maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 times as he traveled from village to village. And Peter had heard Jesus tell these same stories, like the story we talked about last week, about how God is like this father who's scanning the horizon for his kids who have wandered away. And then he runs to them, and he wraps his arms around them, and he brings them back into his family. That's the kind of God that we serve. And Jesus hears these stories. And so the topic of forgiveness came up with Jesus and Peter one day. And Jesus, or or Peter, looks at Jesus, and he thinks to himself, I'm going to blow your mind right now. I've, I've been listening. I've been paying attention. Check out what I think about forgiveness. And this is what he says in Matthew 18. Peter came and said to Jesus, he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, who acts wrongly against me? Up to seven times? And Peter's thinking, okay, Jesus, I know I'm impressive. That probably blows you away because the law in the Old Testament of the Bible said that if someone sins against you or wrongs you, you can wrong them back in the same way. It was called an eye for an eye. So, for example, if someone comes up to you and punches you in the face, you can't pull out a knife and stab them, but you can punch him in the face. But Peter looks at Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, if someone comes up to me and punches me in the face or wrongs me, not once. I'm not going to forgive him once or twice or even three or four times. Jesus, if someone comes up to me and punches me in the face even six times, six times, I'm going to forgive him. How about this, Jesus? How about seven times? That's pretty good, right? And he had this glint in his eye as he talked to him and said, see, I've been been listening to what you say about forgiveness. I'll do it seven times. That's my number. That's my forgiveness number. Which leads us to a really interesting question. As I was writing this message, I started thinking to myself, well, I wonder what, what my forgiveness number is. Because we all have a forgiveness number, and that's a question for you today. What's your forgiveness number? We've all got one. Some of us, it's on the tip of our tongue. You wrong me once, I might let it go. Twice, you're out. For some of us, maybe it's in the back of our mind. What's your forgiveness number? Is it two, three, four? If you're brave enough, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if you're brave enough, you might want to write it down. I even left a blank for you there. And if you don't know what your forgiveness number is, this is where you would ask someone across from you, what's it like to be on the other side of me when it comes to forgiveness? How many times do you think I forgive? Maybe for you, it's, it's four. I told the kids four times to clean their room. And I was gracious, and I was kind. One, two, three. But on time number four, they're going to get the wrath of mom. Maybe, maybe it's five. My husband promised to be home on time five days this week, and he was late every single time. And I forgave him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but it's Friday, and he's going to pay on Saturday. Maybe it's six. My coworker said they'd finish their deadline on time. And they blew their deadline for the sixth 
time in a row, and it's affecting me, and it's costing me. Maybe our forgiveness number is six. I, I don't know. We all have different forgiveness numbers, but we all have a number somewhere. Maybe for you, it's not a number of times. Maybe it's a number of years. Ten years we've been working on our marriage. Ten years. And I've been patient for ten years, but it's not supposed to be this much work. Ten years in, I'm done. I have forgiven her for ten years. What's your forgiveness number? Peter's is seven, and he feels pretty good about seven until Jesus answers him in verse 22 and says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say, but 70 times seven, which would be 490 times. Now, I wonder, did anybody write down 490 in that blank? And by the way, Jesus isn't saying 490 is the magic number, so keep track. What he's saying is there is no upper number to forgiveness. And before you tune out and say, well, that's just a pipe dream, because most of us would when we hear something like that, this is where Jesus tells a parable, this story, to reveal to us the secret that's been hidden from the creation of the world about forgiveness. He says, Peter, you don't understand why we forgive. And if you don't understand why to forgive, you'll never understand how to forgive. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the why of forgiveness. We spent a lot of times in a lot of sermon series talking about the how of forgiveness, and we'll talk about that again someday. But today I want to look at the why. Jesus says there's a secret to forgiveness. To explain the secret, he says there's a, there's a story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven— or, or the kingdom of God, this, this world that we live in where we understand that God is in charge of our lives. Even though we live here in the United States, God's in charge, which means there's a different mindset, a different rule, a different law in the kingdom of heaven where God's in charge of our lives. So the kingdom of heaven is like a, it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to make his settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since the man was not able to pay, the master or the king ordered that he and his wife and his children all be sold to repay the debt. Now, this wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. Kings and, and lords would loan out money to people in the kingdom, and then at some point they'd call for an account. And this man's been called to account for what he owed, and he owed 10,000 bags of gold, or the original translation is, is 10,000 talents, which basically is the largest amount of money anyone in Jesus' day could imagine. Just picture in today's money, picture a trillion dollars with a T. He owes the king a trillion dollars. One man owes a trillion dollars. We don't, we don't know if he just made bad choices with the loan. We don't know if he got caught up in a pyramid scheme. What we do know is there is no way he could ever pay back the trillion dollar debt that he owes to the king. And so the king says, well, I have to recoup at least some of my lost money. And so he says, I'm going to sell you, your wife, your kids into slavery, which would have turned into generational slavery until they had paid off their debt. Generation after generation after generation being trapped in slavery. And the truth is, there's probably no way that they would have ever, ever been paid, been able to pay off that debt. Verse 26 says, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him and he cried out, be patient, he begged. I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. What would you do if you were in this guy's shoes? You get called to account. You owe a debt you can't repay. You and I would probably do exactly what this man does. He falls on his knees. He, he humbles himself. He lets go of all of his pride. He says, there's, there's no way I can pay you back now, but I'm begging you, please, please don't throw my family into slavery. We'll be split up. I'll never see them again. It'll change the trajectory for generations to come. Just give me more time. But the truth is, time wasn't going to fix it. There's no way they could have ever paid off the debt, and the king knows it. But remember, I told us last week that when it comes to these parables, these stories, there's always a twist in the story. And in this story, there are two twists. And the first one is this. The king cancels the debt. He forgives the debt outright, which means the king has to absorb the debt onto himself. The king has to figure out some way to pay the debt back himself. Now, let's just pull over to the side of the road for a second because you guys are smart people. Seriously, you're like the smartest people I know. That's why you're looking at me and you're saying, I already know what Jesus is saying in this story. See, the king in the story has to be God. You already know that because you're incredibly intelligent. And the, the man in the story has to be us. And Jesus must be telling the story to talk about the financial debt, to talk about a moral debt before God. And that's exactly what he's doing. See, we believe that God is perfect and holy and completely morally right. And we're told over and over again in the pages of the Bible, but really we don't need the Bible to tell us because we can tell in our own hearts that we are not morally perfect. That if God is here, we fall somewhere in here, and you could make an invisible chart, and you could place the most moral person at the top, maybe, maybe like Mother Teresa or like Billy Graham. They might be here, and then based on them, we could figure out kind of where we fall on the chart. But what we do know is I'm no Mother Teresa, you're not either. But that's okay. That's okay. But the truth is, there's a moral gap between God and us. And the Bible says that moral gap is called sin. And I talk about sin quite a bit because we have to understand that sin is this really, it's this thing that, that infects and affects every part of our lives. We're told that we have sin from the time of our birth, and sin is simply the things that we dwell on in our minds or that we say or that we do that hurt us. So it hurts us when we sin, and it hurts the people we love the most. And ultimately, it separates us from a perfect, moral, and holy God. And it's a moral gap that we cannot bridge and we cannot come back to. And I don't really have to even tell you what sin is, because you know it when you do it. Because you lay in bed and you think to yourself, "Why why did I blow up on the kids again? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I think that? Why am I still plagued by this insecurity? Why, 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 why? All these questions come up, and we think to ourselves, I'm never going to do it again. I'll never yell again. I'll never, I'll never go out again. I'll never look at that again, say that again, drink it, smoke it, do it. And then a week later, a month later, a year later, we're doing the very thing we said we'd never do again because sin has infected and affected us. And on our own, we can't break through. And it's like this moral debt that has separated us from God that we can't undo. But here's the good news. Just like the king absorbed the financial debt of the servant, God absorbed the moral debt that we owed. And Jesus talked about it perfect. Jesus, Justin talked about it perfectly. Yeah, I get him confused sometimes. <laughs> Justin talked about it perfectly, that, that Jesus gave his life on a cross, and when he did it, he absorbed 
our moral debt on himself, our sin on himself, so that we could be forgiven by God. And the more we understand the incredible love of God and the power of God to absorb that debt, it is, it's a game changer because it gives us the opportunity to trade generations of slavery to sin in for the freedom of being God, called God's children. And it trades that sin thing that keeps us doing the same stuff that we always do that we don't want to. We get to trade it for God's spirit living in us. It's a game changer. It's why I sat down at 17 in a field by myself and I cried like a baby because I realized my moral debt in front of a perfect God. And then I understood that Jesus took my debt on himself so that I could be forgiven by God. That's why when I was 17, I said, God, I'll follow you anywhere because at that moment I realized how great God's forgiveness really is. And I want to say to you, friend, if you're here today and you can't point back to a time when you recognized how great your moral debt was and how powerful God is to forgive, you were missing out on the greatest gift that God has ever given, which is the gift of forgiveness and the gift of taking our debt upon himself. Jesus goes on with the story. He says, the servant who's been forgiven of this great debt— The servant went out, and we would assume that he's singing and dancing and happy. He just had a trillion-dollar debt completely erased. And he went out to one of his fellow servants who who he had a bad poker debt against, who owed him a few hundred silver coins, who they bet on on the Packers game, and the Packers lost to the Bears. It's like that kind of a thing. Um, It's a a made-up story. It's a made-up story, I realize. He goes out to his friend who owes him a few hundred silver coins, and he grabs him, and he begins to choke him out like they're in the octagon. He says, pay me back what you owe me. And his servant fell on his knees, and he begged him, just like the man had begged the king. He said, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off a little side bet they had few hundred coins. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Why? Because this man has broken forgiveness etiquette. Verse 32 says, the master called the servant in, and he said to him, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the anger of the master burned and he handed the man over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus steps out of the story and Jesus says, and this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. It's kind of like what we see as we parent. You ever had your kid do something that's just cost you a lot? Not that long ago, we had one of our children, it doesn't matter who, but one of our children um, drop a cup of water on our laptop. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a $1,000 Apple computer. That's, that's tough. But we were kind and gracious, and, and our, our child, and if I tell you what they did, you'll know which one it was, because you've heard my stories, was mortified, crying and sad, you know. Um, but we forgave. It's okay. It's okay. We dried it off. It's okay. It's going to be fine. Now, what if that child had gone to their sibling, and their sibling accidentally knocked over their blocks, and then our child began to grab their sibling and choke them and beat them down? Wouldn't she be outraged? It's like, wait a minute. I just forgave you for spilling water on my MacBook Air. 
and you're beating your brother because he knocked over your blocks? That's exactly what's happening here. The king looks at the servant and is outraged. He says, I forgave a trillion dollar debt that you could never repay, and you went out and you put a chokehold on a guy who had a bad gambling debt against you? How dare you do it? It is, he says, it's, it's almost inhuman. It's unthinkable. He says, you're, you're wicked because you didn't recognize the great forgiveness I'd given to you. And you went out and you, you forced him to pay you pennies on the dollar to what I owe you. And then the story ends right there. It's like Jesus drops the mic and walks away. And just for emphasis, he says, just, just to clarify, this is how God will treat you unless you forgive other people from your heart. To which I respond, yikes. I, I, I don't want to be that guy in the story. So the question becomes, well, how can I grow in my forgiveness? If we want, if we want to become 70 times 7 forgivers, if you'd like to put 490 in that line, how do we do it? And again, this isn't a how-to, but I have a few reflections on why to forgive. But just to clarify, because people, people ask me this when we talk about forgiveness sometimes, forgiveness is different than restoration. Ideally, they come in the same package. We can forgive and we can restore relationships, but not always. For example, forgiveness is not getting back in the car with her when she's drunk. Forgiveness is not going back to him if he continues to beat you or beat the kids. Forgiveness is not letting the kids go there if they've been violated. That's just reckless. That's just wrong. But there is an orientation towards forgiveness that wishes for reconciliation, that wishes for restoration. And I want to talk about that orientation towards forgiveness, because I found in my life that when I know the why of forgiveness, the how tends to fall into place. So here's the why to forgiveness, and it's our big idea for the day. If I want to become a 70 times 7 forgiver, then I need to remember the unpayable moral debt that God forgave in my life. Isn't that what the king is saying here? You walked out of my throne room, and you forgot about the debt I repaid you, and therefore you refused to forgive the debt of your friend, which was really just pennies on the dollar. And here's what I'm realizing in my life more and more, and you can take this for what it is, but boy, the more I understand the unimaginable moral debt that Jesus paid on my behalf, the more I want to forgive other people when they hurt me because I realize the debt that they owe me when they wrong me is pennies on the dollar to the debt that I owe to God when he forgave me. Have you ever been so mad at your spouse that you were laying in bed, backs to each other, facing the wall, you thought to yourself, I am never going to forgive them. You're just seething, you're steaming, you tried to work it out, but every time you tried, it just got worse and worse and worse, and you decided probably the best thing to do is just to go to bed you ever had that moment? Have you ever had a business partner steal money from the company? And you think to yourself, I'm never going to forgive them as long as they live. Have you ever had somebody that you love violate you in some way? Those are serious offenses. And the only way that I can understand that I would even begin to want the process of forgiveness, the only way that I can understand it is to understand the great unpayable debt that my Heavenly Father forgave on my behalf. 
Because the truth is, we live in a world that's broken. That sin thing that I'm talking about, it's very real. And the people we rub shoulders with every day, they have their own sin. And their own sin rubs up against us like sharp edges of a knife. And it cuts us and it hurts us in very, very real ways. And the only way that we would want to begin the forgiveness process is to understand the enormity of God's forgiveness towards us. And we saw a picture of that just a few weeks ago. I don't know if you've been following the news, but, but after the shootings in Charleston, which can really only be categorized as a hate crime, racially motivated hate crime, the families of the murder victims, they went into the courtroom, and one by one they forgave the man who changed their lives forever. And the husband of Myra Thomas, one of the victims, he looked at the shooter who had killed his wife, and he said, I forgive you, and my family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to ask you to repent and confess and to give your life to the one who matters most. Now, pull over to the side of the road, and you would want to ask this guy, wait a minute, if he repents— If he turns back to God, based on what you believe, doesn't that mean that he'll someday be in heaven with you? Who would want to do that? Who would want to invite the person who killed their wife to spend eternity with them? To live in a house with them forever? He said this, turn your life over to the one who matters most so that he can change you and change your ways so that he can change you no matter what has happened. He says, and you will be okay. Friends, that is a picture of a man who understands the incredible lengths that his heavenly father went to forgive him. And the best I can figure out, that's not a good person. Any one of us would look at him, and if he cussed out that man, would totally understand why. And would still think he's a pretty good person. That's not a good person. That's a man who has understood the depths of God's forgiveness to him and the moral debt that he owed before a perfect God. And because he's experienced God's forgiveness, he can then offer forgiveness to the man who has changed his life on this earth forever. as we close our time together, just imagine how your life would change if you experienced that type of forgiveness. Because here's the thing about debt. Someone has to keep track of it. And when someone hurts you, when someone hurts me, and we don't forgive them, you know what we're doing? We're keeping track of it in our book. And those debts add up, and they add up, and they add up, and they usually leave us feeling bitter and angry, and hurt, and they turn us into a shell of the woman, of the man that we were created to be. And here's the the worst part of it. More often than not, the person who offended us has no idea that they did it, or they don't care. How much would our lives change if we decided to experience God's forgiveness to such a degree that we tore up the debt book? threw it away. It wouldn't just free up the person that hurt us. Boy, it would free us. 
And that's what God wants for you. He wants freedom. And forgiveness leads to freedom. And I want to ask you today, as we wrap our time up, is there someone who has wronged you, legitimately wronged you, hurt you deeply, and you're holding on to it? You've got, you've got it written in your ledger, the debt that they owe. And you've said to yourself for days or weeks or months or years, I'm never going to let go of that debt. Could I ask you today to consider tearing up that debt? Because it's pennies on the dollar compared to the debt that we owed before God, that God graciously forgave. And when we understand that forgiveness, boy, it opens the door for this forgiveness. But if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, you have not experienced the first level of forgiveness and the freedom that comes from knowing that God has forgiven you of your moral debt. And until you experience that forgiveness, in my experience, you can't give out this type of forgiveness. So I want to invite you today as we wrap our time up together. If you've never invited God into your life, if you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, if you've never experienced him tearing up the debt that you owe to God, I would ask you to do it today, to commit your life to God, to experience his forgiveness. It's the greatest gift you can ever experience, and then to live out that forgiveness towards those around you. It will change your life on this earth, and it will change your life in eternity. I'm going to pray right now, and then I'm going to give you a chance to make that decision, to say yes to God. And then we'll, we'll wrap our time up together. So if you're ready to make that decision, let's just close our eyes right now. As our eyes are closed, as we, we continue to engage with God, I'm going to pray for all of us, and I'll pray for you specifically if you're ready to make that decision. God, this topic of forgiveness, it's not an easy one. We live in a very real world with very real people who hurt us in very real ways. And for my friends who this message actually brings up a lot of pain and a lot of hurt from places where they have been deeply wounded because of the sin of others, I pray for your healing in their lives, Lord. I pray that they would experience your comfort in the midst of their pain. And I pray that even if that person never asks for forgiveness, that you, God, would continue to do the work of restoring them to wholeness from the places where they've been hurt. For those of us who are holding on to, to pain and to hurt, who are holding on to a debt that someone owes us, God, would you give us the courage to experience the depths of your forgiveness to us and then to tear up that debt and to offer forgiveness to them so that we could experience your freedom, God. As we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross, and you're ready to make that decision today to experience God's forgiveness of your moral debt, then I want to give you a chance to do that. You can repeat these words after me. It's a simple prayer of commitment to God where you would say, God, I want to follow you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And if you're ready to make that decision, you can repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life on a cross to take my moral debt on yourself so that I could be forgiven.
And today, I'm saying yes to you. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.